turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. While you're turning there, I just want to let you know that uh, it's an exciting day for Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church. It, this is their, their day to be able to move into their new building, and what an exciting thing. It's also their fourth anniversary. Uh, Pastor and Mrs. Colton have gone down there to be a part of that along with uh, Tom and Dottie Manny. But you pray for Pastor Manny today. I know it's just an exciting thing uh, for us as a church and for them as a new church uh, to be able to have their own place. There's just something special about that. It took us five and a half years uh, to be able to get our own place, and, and uh, I finally got a a set of keys to the front door. They, they never gave me keys to the, the middle school in Kanger Prussia. And uh, so you never knew any Sunday if we're going to be locked out or not. And so what a, what a great thing it is to get keys to your own building. And, and he has that on his fourth year anniversary. So we want to be able to pray for him. Second Corinthians chapter 8. The message today is entitled Spiritually Rich. As Paul thinks about how love is demonstrated in giving, his mind immediately goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you talk about love, you talk about Christ. When you talk about love, there's no greater example than Jesus Christ. And so here in this chapter, Paul is telling the Corinthians, you are to give a love offering to the Jerusalem saints who are poor in the same way that the Macedonians give a missionary offering to my work. But now he, he, he leaves that topic for a moment and he points us to the one who is the greatest giver of all, Jesus Christ. His loving gift of salvation is the greatest gift we can possibly receive, and that is the focus of today's message out of one single verse. Would you please stand with me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. You say, Pastor, it's only one verse, but I can fill a whole sermon with one verse. So uh, here it is, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. May we pray. Father, today we are thankful that because of your love for us, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in coming to this earth, that we can be spiritually rich. We can be your children. Speak to our hearts through your word. If there be one that is not certain that heaven is their home, may this be the day, may this be the hour they choose a relationship with the living God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A wonderful story was told about a Persian monarch who reigned many, many years ago. We would call him a king. Uh, they called him a shah. He ruled during a time of great splendor and wealth. He had, a, he had a heart for the poor people, the common people of his kingdom. And so he decided, well, he decided to dress himself in, in old tattered clothing, descend from the lofty heights of the palace, and make a friend of a man who had the lowliest job in the kingdom. And he did. And so dressed in old tattered clothes, he went down the long flight of steps down to the cellar. And there he found a man whose, whose job it was to be able to stoke the fires. 
That is, he made little fires, then he would take the coals, and he would put them in different buckets, and he would go throughout the palace uh, to be able to keep people warm. And this man worked in the ashes and the soot, the smoke, and, and the filth. It was a very dirty job. And he was appropriately called a fireman. Attending uh, to his little fires. At lunchtime, the king sat down beside him in disguise, and the two men began to talk. And this man shared his water. He shared his meager bread that had a smattering of black soot on it. And then the shah went away. But he came back. He came back the next day and the next day, day after day. And the two became friends. The king began to share kind and wise counsel with him. And soon the fireman, he opened up his heart, his total heart to this man that he loved, his friend who was still in disguise. At last, the shawl thought, I can't keep this up. I have to tell him who I really am. And so, so one day he said, you think I'm poor, but I'm not. I am the shawl. I am your emperor. I would like to give you any gift. What would you like? And he expected the man to ask for something great. But he sat there simply gazing in wonder and love. The king said, do you understand what I have told you? I can make you rich. I can make you a ruler over a city I can give you anything. What do you want? According to the story, the man replied, Yes, my Lord, I, I understand. Look what you have already done for me. You have left your palace and your glory to sit with me here in the dark, this dark place, to share with me in my coarse bread, to care whether my heart is glad or sorry, even you can give nothing more precious than that. You can give others rich presents, but to me, you have given yourself. I only ask one thing, that you never would withdraw your friendship from me. Uh, that great story is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Heaven's king came down to live among common people and to give his life and to make us his friends. The hymn writer expressed it this way, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang with when the angels sang, proclaiming the royal decree, but of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility. Jesus wants to make us spiritually rich. But in order to make us rich, he had to make himself what? Poor. That's magnanimous. That's more than generous. Rich people do help poor people, but rarely, rarely do they impoverish themselves. The Rockefellers gave millions of dollars away to help others, but in doing so, they never impoverished themselves. They gave out of their 
abundance. But Jesus became poor that we might be rich. Look at verse 9 with me. Look what he says. Uh, He says, For ye know. For ye know. Linking it with verse 8 where he says, I am not giving you a command about giving, but I'm appealing for you to give an offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem just to prove your love, the sincerity of your love. He says, the example of Jesus Christ is a greater motivation than any command I can give you as an apostle. And every Christian, every Christian already knows that Jesus Christ came down and gave his life for us. That's the gospel. Jesus died and rose again. And verse 8 expresses uh, that love uh, uh, in generous giving. In verse 9, we see that Christ is the greatest example of that. For ye know. For ye know what? For ye know uh, the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, we see, we see that Jesus Christ, out of his grace and love, came into the world to be able to give his life for us. This is the gospel. And so he says, we're to give. He's asking these Corinthians to give to help others. He says, I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. But whatever God puts on your heart, give. Give because you love, not because you have to. And so first of all, what we see here is is the riches of Christ. It's a very simple but profound verse. The riches of Christ. What does this mean? Does it refer to material wealth? No. No. Uh, This refers to his role as God the Son. Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity. The Bible teaches Trinity. The Bible teaches that, that there is one God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity. Jesus is God. There was never a moment when Jesus Christ was not God. There was never a moment that he did not exist. False teachers and cults, they attack this truth about our Savior. Jesus is God. He didn't become God. He has always been God. Jesus was not created by the Father. Jesus was not an angel first. Jesus is not a sub-God. No, Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is as rich as the eternal God. Jesus is as rich as God is rich. And to show you that, I've given you some verses there, verses that prove the deity of Jesus Christ. And so, in a prophecy about our Savior, in Isaiah 9, 6, it's in the handles of Messiah. For unto us a, a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. And, and uh, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, what? Wonderful Counselor. What's the next one? The Mighty God. Jesus Christ is God. Notice in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 1. John 8 58, Jesus answering a question uh, about his deity before Abraham was, I am. I am the self existent one. I am is that title of God that, that God gave to Moses. John 10 30, I and my Father are one. And the cultists will say, oh, that's just like, you know, a husband and wife are one. No, no, no. Keep reading the passage. In the passage, they pick up stones to stone Jesus. And he says, tell me, which good work do you stone me for? A little bit of, uh, little bit of stab there. Which good work do you stone me for? And they said, oh, for a good work we stone thee not. 
because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. They knew exactly what he meant when he said, I and my father are one. John 20, 28. You know what happens here? Thomas, doubting Thomas, becomes believing Thomas. He falls before our Lord second Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, and he says, my Lord and my God. But I'd like you to mark this next one, and I'd like you to mark it in your Bible someday as well. Hebrews 1.8. This is the clearest verse in the Bible that says Jesus is God. This is irrefutable. It is an Old Testament quote found in our New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. The Bible says, But unto the Son he saith, who is speaking? God the Father. God the Father speaks to the Son, and, and you see it in your notes here. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. You talk, you talk about proof positive. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When God the Father says he's God, you know he's God. And so uh, that is the truth. That is the riches that our Savior had. Jesus is rich and possesses all the riches that are contained in heaven. But like the king in the story, Jesus laid it aside. He laid it aside because he, he loves us. Notice, secondly, the poverty of Christ. We have the riches of Christ, all of heaven, uh, his place in the Godhead as God himself. But notice the poverty of Christ. And so our verse tells us, our verse tells us, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. For your sake, for us, not, not for himself, but for us he became poor. What does it mean that he became poor? Throughout history, even to this day, many misunderstand this phrase. They misunderstand what this means. All the way back to the 5th century, one famous theologian said that we are to imitate Christ's life, including, quote, the grace of his poverty. He used this verse in his writings to urge Christians to live lives of poverty and to give away their possessions. A famous writer in the 13th century said the same thing. Quote, the life of poverty which Christ led is based on the fact of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. We too should take a vow of poverty because Christ lived such a poor life as indicated in this verse. On 2 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, John Calvin, the famous reformer, wrote, We see what destitution and lack of things that awaited him from his mother's womb. Thus, he sanctified poverty in his own person so that believers should no longer shrink from it, and by his poverty he has enriched us. Is that really what this verse is all about? Is this a statement about Jesus' economic status in the first century? Did Jesus grow up in poverty? Did Jesus live in poverty? Is Paul telling us to live in poverty? Even today, uh, there are some religious leaders still promoting you need to live in poverty. They give the impression that there is virtue in being poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, I tell you the truth, it says nothing about Jesus' economic status while on earth. 
People who have material blessings have been made to feel guilty because of misrepresenting verses like this. They say, after all, Jesus was born in a stable and he was uh, laid to rest in a straw crib. He had nowhere to lay his head. And when he died, he had one coat to his name, gambled for away by the soldiers. But those things have nothing to do with this verse. Jesus didn't make us rich by becoming economically poor. The gospel has nothing to do with his economic status while he was here on earth. It isn't that he had to live, a, live as a poor man while on earth. It is that God had to become man. That's what it means to become poor. We don't re receive salvation because Jesus lived in the economic lower class. In fact, if that were the case, we would have expected Tim to, to be poorer than he was. So let's see what the Bible says about Jesus' economic status in light of this verse and many who misunderstand it. Number one, Jesus was not considered poor by others there in Israel. He would not be considered poor by the average citizen in Israel. He was considered a respected rabbi and itinerant preacher by the masses, a respected rabbi. And they came and they addressed him, rabbi, master, teacher. The truly poor, like the beggars and the lepers, they would have looked upon Jesus as a middle-class citizen. There's nothing to indicate in the life and the ministry of Jesus that he was poor. He lived a common, ordinary life like many other people did. But what about his birth? Luke describes that he was born in a stable. That does not indicate the poverty of Joseph and Mary. That indicates that there were very crowded conditions in Bethlehem during the tax census. Luke says that when they went to the inn, they were turned away. Why? Because they had no money? No, because there was what? No room in the inn. It was full. No vacancy. It wasn't because they, Joseph didn't have any money in his uh, uh, back pocket of his robe. We find that in Luke 2, they're living in a house. They're living in a house when the wise men arrive. Presumably, it was not a relative's house. You say, how do you know that? Because if it was a relative's house, when they showed up, when Mary is ready to give birth, don't you think the relative would have taken them in? Certainly. So now in Luke 2, they're living in a house. It's not a relative's house. So only one of two options can be. Either someone had pity on them from being out of towners and took them in, or they are renting the house with money that they had brought with them. They're paying rent. You can't pay rent unless you have some money. Number two, Joseph was a carpenter. His stepfather had a trade. He was a builder. He built furniture. He built doors. He built window frames. He built yoke for oxen. He may have built the, uh, uh, the, the, the local pulpit for the synagogue. He may have worked on building houses. He did brickwork. Joseph owned his own business in Nazareth. He is a small business owner. Jesus definitely grew up for 30 years in a middle-class home. 
as to why Mary offered the turtle doves for purification and not a lamb does not mean that she couldn't afford a lamb. It could have been because of their travel. Number three, Jesus was a carpenter. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. The people from his hometown, Nazareth, they would have purchased items that Jesus would have made. Wow. Wouldn't it be great to have something in your house that Jesus made with his own hands? I mean, a door, a table, a, a, a yoke for your ox. Yes, come, come into my house. Come into my house. I want you to see this chair. I want you to know Jesus, he built, he, he made this chair with his own hands. Don't sit in it. Jesus made that chair. I just want you to look at it. Wouldn't that be special to have something that, that Jesus actually built? As a young man, Jesus would have been very industrious. He would have shown up on time for work. And he would have left on time. Uh, he would not take any more time at the coffee break than, than he was supposed to. Uh, I mean, he's, he's honest, right? He's going to be a hard worker, right? And so, say from the ages of 20 to 30, he would have made a lot of money as an industrious carpenter. Now, he could have given his income to support his family. He could have given it to others. We don't know, but we know that he made a lot of money from age 20 to 30. He was a carpenter. Uh, number four, Jesus had a home in Nazareth. It is the family home. We presume that Joseph has passed away, and so certainly Jesus would have made sure that Mary would be cared for before he would do his itinerant preaching. And we know that on the cross, he made sure that John uh, would take his role as uh, the elder son to be able to care for Mary. There's a home. What about Luke 9:58? When Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Well, that's because he wasn't home. He was in another town. He left his home in Nazareth. But there is a family home in Nazareth. There is a family business in Nazareth. But he became an itinerant preacher, a traveling rabbi. And he's traveling away from home. And he didn't have an RV and he didn't have a motor home. So what happened? He had to stay with friends. He had to stay with friends, and, and if he had no friends in that area, they would sleep out in the open. This is what itinerant evangelists do to this day. Dr. Getch, Dr. John Getch, I was here from Sunday to Wednesday, same thing. He just spent six nights in the Panero suite above the profit chamber, above the accounting center. We call it a profit's chamber. And we, we do it. Uh, Jewish people do it. Christian people do it. All over the world, we open up our homes. And the age-old Jewish custom, Jesus certainly enjoyed the benefits of staying in homes like he did in Bethany with Lazarus and her, his sisters Mary and Martha. And so Jesus, he did have a home, but when he's not home, he, he would say what he said. Number five, Jesus' ministry was financially supported. It's an oft-missed verse. I've given it to you in your notes there. It is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod stored. This is a very wealthy man. And Susanna, and would you underline it, many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. That's money. That's food. That's clothing. Here we are told that many gave support to Christ and his disciples. 
Two ladies are specifically named, indicating that their financial support was far and above all others. Imagine if you were one of the hundreds, if not thousands of people that, that Jesus healed. Don't you think you would support his ministry? Imagine if it was your husband or wife that was healed, your brother or sister that was healed, your son or daughter that was healed. Wouldn't you gladly and willingly give an offering to Jesus to be able to support him and the disciples out of gratitude? And may I say, if Christ has saved anyone in your family, shouldn't, shouldn't you be grateful that the Spirit of God has brought a family member into the kingdom. In no sense can we conclude that he was an impoverished beggar. He lived no poorer than most first century Jews and better off than those who had to beg. Jesus Christ was not a beggar. One more, number six, number six. Jesus appointed one disciple to be the what? The treasurer. Why? At times they had surplus. Who kept the bag? Judas. The bag of what? The bag of money. He, he's money bags, all right? Uh, Judas is the guy with the, the bag of money. Judas kept the bag and bare what was put therein, John chapter 12, verse 6. Judas carried around a bag of money. Sometimes there was more and sometimes there was less. Sometimes they had so much excess in the money bag that according to John 12 and 13, they gave, they gave money to help others. Who? The poor. When Judas left the upper room, the other disciples thought he left, quote, because Judas had the bag and they thought Jesus had said unto him, two choices, buy those things that we have need of for the feast, or they thought that he should give something to the poor, John 13, 29. Now, he would only be helping the poor if that had been a common practice, a common use of the excess money in the past in the bag. If Jesus is giving money to help the poor, then he cannot be considered economically poor himself, right? Does that make sense? There's enough excess money in the bag to give to the poor, so certainly they're not economically poor. So when the apostle Paul said, Jesus became poor, he is not talking about Jesus giving up material things, but giving up invisible things, giving up immaterial things. He is talking spiritually. So what was the poverty of Jesus? What was the poverty of Jesus? God becoming Man, Jesus became a man. This is the poverty of Jesus. We call that his incarnation. We call it the first Christmas. How, how, this, how this rich becomes poor. There in your notes, how he became poor? When he was born of a woman, Galatians 4.4. When he had to go to the cross, Colossians 1.20. When the word became flesh, John 1.14. When he was made a little lower than the angels, Hebrews 2.7. He laid aside the exercise of many of his attributes of deity. 
He laid aside omnipresence. He was contained to a body. He laid aside his omniscience. He says only the Father knows the hour of the return of Christ. Two classic passages. I've given them to you. Philippians 2. The Bible says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with, with God. Uh, that is, he is perfectly equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, but he didn't hold back. Uh, we say he emptied himself but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found as fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I mean, he suffered like no other. He went all the way to death. He took the penalty of our hell when he died upon the cross. This is what Paul meant when he said he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. His riches were the glory he had in heaven. His riches were his place in the Trinity. And his becoming poor was leaving the throne of heaven, coming to earth, dying a humiliating death because he loves us, because he wants a relationship with us, because he wants to become our friends. Another passage, Ephesians 4, 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts unto men. Here, here is a picture of the triumph. Remember 2 Corinthians 2, we have a triumph in Christ. A triumph is a great parade where the conquering general ascends the hill and brings with him all the captives and the spoils from a victorious battle. He comes back with all the riches of the nation and the captives or prisoners have been liberated. He gave out gifts. This is a picture of Christ. Uh, verse 9 of that passage. He that descended is the same also that ascended up for, up, up for above all heavens. The point of this quote from Psalm 68 is you can't first ascend until you first descend. You can't come back with the spoils until he went down. And so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that, that all of the Old Testament saints, they have been described as being in the place of paradise. They have being, they're being described as being in the place of Abraham's bosom. And remember that great golf fix that Jesus told about. But now they are in the presence of God of heaven. And so you and I can say, because of the resurrection of Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in heaven. We have the promise of heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 8. And this great God, this great king that came down, he came down into the darkness and he came down uh, into this world uh, and he took poor people, common people, you and I, and he frees us from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness and blindness, and he gives us his light. The eternal God in humility takes on a body and he allows himself to be killed, executed on a cross. He became poor. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be his friend like the king in the story. So we see, we see the riches of Christ and we see the poverty of, of Jesus. I want you to see the gift, the gift of Christ, the gift of Christ. Yet for your sakes, that is to make poor sinners rich, to make us, to make us materially rich? No. Spiritually rich? Yes. Eternally rich? Yes. And so in verse 9, he says, For your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty, his condescension from heaven to earth, might be rich. What does that mean? Rich with what? 
rich with the same riches that he possesses, rich in salvation, rich in joy, rich in forgiveness, rich in peace in my heart. I'm talking about rich in honor and majesty, rich in glory, rich with a purpose for living. Oh, the riches of Christ. We are so rich that we are called joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. 1 Peter 1, 4. I love it. I'm a child of the king. You're a child of the king. And as Christians, we are now as spiritually rich as him. Before we came to Christ, we were poor. We were really, really poor spiritually. We were so poor that we had to come as beggars. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We cannot buy a ticket. We cannot buy a ticket to heaven with our money. Uh, look with me there in your notes. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are bond slaves to sin and Satan. We cannot get to heaven by being good. We cannot get to heaven by doing good works. We cannot get to heaven by performing sacraments. We can only receive heaven as a gift, but only humble people will ask God for the gift. You see, like the rich young ruler, pride-filled people will walk away from Jesus. He came to make us rich. So the moment we make a commitment to become a follower of Jesus Christ, his life and his spirit dwells in us. When we are saved, we, we receive Christ as our Savior. Christ lives within us. We, we will be like him. We will reflect his glory. We, we own his heaven without a mortgage. Uh, we inherit a new heaven, a new earth, the, the new Jerusalem for all of eternity. We have all the spiritual riches. And since Jesus did that for us, Paul now tells these Corinthians, you're to give to God. You're to give to others. Someone once gave an offering sometime so you and I could hear the gospel. Churches just don't spring up with government funds. Someone gave to build a church. Someone gave to print a gospel tract. Someone gave to print a Bible. And that's why Paul says, I am a debtor. Until everyone hears the good news... I want to give. I want to give my life. I want to give my energy. I want to give my time. I want to give my resources. I just want to serve, Romans 1.14. That's how we're to treat one another. Share the good news of the gospel. Salvation and forgiveness are free gifts. And when you receive the gift, you are spiritually rich, not on this earth, but in your heart, in God's kingdom, and in heaven. You know, it took, it took me about four months as a teenager to figure this out, that, that I am a sinner, Jesus is the Savior, and there's only one way to heaven, through Christ.